This podcast has now been referenced in keynote speeches at Arabia HQ, Architects Journal, BD Online and GB News. Hello, Jason here. Before I start the podcast, I would just like to share some news. The Brock Architect podcast is now raising money for the Architects Benevolence Society. And I have set a target of £1,500 by December the 15th, 2023. Please consider donating as you never know when you yourself would need help. Links in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. This is season two of The Broke Architect. I have a question for you. Are you an architect and are you broke? If the answer is yes, it's what I've suspected for many years, as I am indeed an architect myself. This podcast is about debt in the profession of architecture, and I want to hear from you. Are you just surviving month to month with no extra money for savings? Or are you seriously broken in debt and stress and worry about your income? Or does your wife, husband, or significant other earn substantially more than you, which gives you a great life, given the ability to choose your clients, when you work, and who for? Or have you attained financial freedom in architecture? If you're in the first two categories, surviving month to month, or facing financial difficulties, how is this affecting your mental health? Are you suffering from depression or even despair? Please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. I have with me today Alexander Chotus, located in Leeds, West Yorkshire, but is actually Canadian by birth. Alexander is an associate and works for the amazing Faulkner Browns Architects, close to my hometown in Newcastle-upon-Tyne and is a senior architectural technologist who works four days a week from home. With more and more architectural staff working from home, we discuss with Alex how to effectively manage architectural projects from home. Alex uses MS Teams and manages his teams virtually. Firstly, welcome to the second series of The Broke Architect. And I just wanted to ask, how are you today? Yes, thank you for that intro. Yes, Alexander Chotos, as you say, Jason. And and yes, I work for the amazing Faulkner Browns as an associate uh, member there who have an incredible team that do some really amazing work. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I am and was very privileged to be bolted into their already fantastic team. Um, you might know uh, Faulkner Browns have just been shortlisted for the AJ 100 2023 Practice of the Year. Uh, you might have seen them sweeping up many deserved prestigious awards lately. And of course, um, uh, some big news last year was winning the Retail and Leisure Architect of the Year Award. Um, but sorry, yes, you asked how I was today. No, very well, mate. Very well indeed. Thanks very much for asking. I woke up today filled with some some good energy. Yeah. And after what was a really nice long weekend with the family doing some fun things under the sun. And I uh, really wanted to say that it's my pleasure to be here on the second season of the Broke Architect podcast with you. I'm very excited to share some insights with you as professional members of the construction industry. But how about yourself? Yeah. You doing okay? I'm good. The weather's not as good as it was yesterday, but it, um, I, I'm, I'm really good today after that sort of long weekend. Maybe we can just start. If you could tell us about your background and how did you come to find yourself uh, moving from Canada and coming to the UK? 
as you said, Canadian by birth with half a dash of Greek heritage in my blood uh, from my legendary dad, from my last name you might have gathered. I uh, hail from the city of Sarnia, which is in the province of, of Ontario. Uh, for context, it's near the hustling and bustling metropolis of Toronto, which most people will know of. Uh, growing up in my hometown in Canada, it was great. I was fortunate, you know, to be surrounded by an incredible community where I really did forge some really great memories and I still cherish those and dine with those today. I made lifelong friends there, you know. So after that, I studied, qualified, and then honed in on my architectural skills for, I'd say, nearly a decade, really. And then I just had this uncontainable thirst for exploration and some adventure and, and fun, ultimately. So. I made quite an audacious decision, packed my life into a fairly large backpack that was too heavy to carry from time to time, and uh, bought a one-way ticket to, to go and see the world, Jay. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm, 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 so, so I'm about a year and a half in, and this is when destiny intervened, and I encountered the love of my life amidst uh, the captivating landscape of Australia at the time. What a country they have there. Absolutely incredible. Uh, from there, you know, our hearts sort of intertwined and then we traveled together for another year and a half more before landing on, as you say, the magnificent shores of England, where I was just ready to contribute, you know, the skills that I've learned and immerse myself into what I know now yeah. to be the dynamic, rich architecture scene and, and contribute to it with, with really talented professionals. I was really excited to practice in the UK when we both made the decision to move to the UK rather than Canada, really. So can you explain the difference between your working life before the pandemic struck and post-pandemic work life? You know, what, what, is, what are the main difference that you've experienced? Yeah, sure. Wow. Doesn't it feel like a lifetime ago and it's gone by in just a blank before the pandemic? Well, yeah, my working life was strictly office-based, which I could imagine most can attest to. I had, you know, that regular face-to-face -face meetings many site visits, you know, in-person collaboration sessions uh, with colleagues and clients. You know, I was taking the train to and from Leeds every day, shoulder to shoulder commutes, whether it be hot, cold or wet. It was it was really good. I really liked working and being in Leeds. You know, it was an exciting place to be and the company that I was working for at the time. Um, uh, what, what, they, were, they were great and they still are great and they were really great to me, you know, so it was everyday life. And I, I got to say, I didn't know anything much different in my working professional life. And then, boom, dynamite, March 2020 just hit us like a pile of bricks and completely wiped everything that we sort of knew. And I think with the onset of the pandemic, work as a concept just changed forever. It was a real shock to the system. Um, I think many people were really surprised by how quickly and effectively technologies um, for video conferencing and other forms of digital collaboration were adopted. I think for me, uh, and, and definitely for, for many of us, I think the results have been better than imagined. And yeah, I, I could waffle on this subject for a bit. Should, should I continue? Please do, you know, um, it, yeah, has okay. been, it has been an absolutely huge change. Um, uh, you know, and obviously there's lots of pros and cons, but, but yeah, I'm just really, you know, you were going from that commuting stage, like me, five days a week into the office, and then all yes. of a sudden for, for almost two years, you probably didn't really touch the office. It was exactly that. COVID, what a word. 
So amongst all the chaos, so there's there's a few things that I'll that I'll touch on because this is a pretty important one. Uh, I think amongst all that that messiness, there were a lot of silver linings. Um, I've got to say, I really like the fact that it opened a whole new opportunity for collaboration with a lot of different people, a huge diverse range of professionals from around the world. Really, I think as a willing organization that approves you know, work from home. I think that you can fish from a much larger talent pool, employee as well as employer. You know, I think we've got fewer locational constraints. And of course, depending on the level of remote working that company can take on or has taken on, talented people can live and work in cities of the choice, which, you know, may have a lower cost of living, proximity to, 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 to people that they love, places that they love while still working for leading organizations. I think that was really exciting for me. Um, but then again, of course, you take a step back for a moment and address that this new norm is really different and, and things are moving and they're moving fast. Some of the issues that I think I initially had with everything were that I think for many people adapting to the online collaboration tools and and missing out on that water cooler spontaneous interaction of the office. You know, it was huge and it yeah. still is, you know, a particular problem for, for, for young new graduates moving to an unfamiliar city on their first job, you know, the mentorship part of it. Um, overhearing valuable conversations in the office, not as much anymore. Uh, you know, sometimes people don't have family or friends nearby. I know I didn't for a while and work can sometimes be the only place that people can find friends and arrange sort of social events. And, you know, as you know, as we're doing, as it's so widely known now, we largely live in the digital world of Zoom, Skype, Microsoft Teams. And uh, I really do think that there's no substitute for that face-to-face -face collaboration, you know, getting around a table with, with human beings and felt tipping a drawing and solving a complex detail. I think it's really easy to hide away reading emails and news feeds and people find the virtual environment awkward sometimes. And, and I, think that, I think that people can very quickly get bored. But with all that said, I really do feel that we've become considerably better at this and we've addressed a lot of what maybe I just sort of touched on there. Um, as we know, a huge percentage of the global workforce is working remotely. I think it's here to stay, mate, uh, in some way, shape or form. In my opinion, I think we can accomplish most tasks remotely now without significant drop in productivity or, or the quality. Right. Sure that most successful organizations, they've adopted like a like, like, like a hybrid working model, I think, yeah. as we see more than ever now, and and most have risen to the occasion, you know, whether it be a couple days in the office and others remote, there's, a, there's, there's many other companies that I've heard of and that know about that use video communications to be completely remote. Um, some bigger conglomerates, I think, more so than the smaller ones. And I'm sure both of those models can enjoy some really increased productivity if it's if it's done right. I've got to say, I think the reality is that both sides of the argument are probably right. Every organization and culture are different, and so are the circumstances for every individual employee. And I know that I'm going to be talking a lot about me, but you know, I think that many have enjoyed this new experience. Others are fatigued by it. You know, sometimes the same people have experienced different emotions and levels of happiness or unhappiness at different times. I think productivity of the employees who do many different jobs has increased. 
you know, whereas others, it might have declined and many forms of virtual collaboration like you and I are doing right now, they're working really well, but some aren't. So I think some people are getting mentorship and participating in, in, in those really casual, unplanned and important conversations with colleagues and others are, are seriously missing out. But if I'm speaking about myself, you know, all the other people that I know that are majority um, working from home, I think it's working really well. I do. I really do think it's working, working really well. And like AI, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's backward compatible now, you know. And you, you are a father of two young children and you work from home four days a week. My question really is, how do you effectively manage your team? And what is your typical day like when you, you're based at home and with, with your children there, and then you actually go into the office that one day a week? You know, how do you effectively manage the team that way? Great question, really. I'm going to just lift a few of those those first words from your question. Hmm. A father. Yeah, (laughs) what a title. Being a parent is the hardest job I've ever had, but no doubt the most important one and rewarding as well. As a father of two little toddling, sassy baby ladies and someone who works remotely for most of the week, I think effective team management is crucial to really effectively manage a team i think you need to be able to coach i think you need to be able to collaborate Uh, i think being able to evaluate performance teach and motivate your team whether that be in the office or remotely is very important for me i like to really prioritize clear and open communication and i think with doing that you establish a really strong a really strong sense of trust and accountability, whether it be the, the team that I'm in or or leading. Um, and mainly I do that through Microsoft Teams and other in-office software that we have available to us. You know, we've got lots of virtual check-ins where we're constantly discussing project updates and addressing any challenges, able to offer support to one another um, so that we're all on the same page and provide support, you know, and, and guidance as needed. And, and that day in the office, you know, when I have that day in the office, you know, I try to come in early and leave late and just be, you know, a, a champion and really just take advantage of that collaborative environment and schedule those face-to-face meetings and engage with my colleagues who are in the office and work on tasks that might, you know, require more of a focused and immersive setting more so than, you know, just chatting through a computer screen. But I think it's really important to say that we do need more managers who have emotional intelligence and the social skills if we're going to continue to, you know, successfully manage people who are remote. You know, to be honest, Jason, I've seen project teams in the office sitting beside each other physically and still not necessarily collaborate, you know, still talking to each other through a computer rather than turning around and walking 10 steps, you know. I think many people, in my opinion, do not work as effectively in the office together as, you know, some teams can working remotely. So it's an interesting one, really, it is. Exactly. I think you what your point was is when you're in the office, please turn off the computer and get get together and, and really talk to each other face to face. Um, that, Absolutely. That, that must be key. Um, oh, yeah. And we, we still see people signing into CPDs from, you know, somebody has taken the time to to get to the office and teach our group. And some people still sign into that through the use of Teams. I think that's got to be nipped in the bud. I mean, I get deadlines and this and that, and I, I think there's exceptions to it. But generally, you should be able to 
get over and and have that dialogue face to face for sure no wonderful i mean it, it is it is efficient i think using you know using this technology because you can go literally from one meeting to the next without walking uh, i work in pretty built big building and getting to one side of the office to the to the next can take time and there's all that chatter that used to exist and now i think it, it is very focused but you've got to be careful you really have got to be careful to give yourself uh, time between between the meetings or don't stack too many meetings back to back my next Absolutely. question really is your home setup what have you done to make it feel like a working comfortable space yeah that's that's super important isn't it and i know that a lot of companies were honing in on this as soon as we did have that involuntary white collar exercise from working from home and everybody was just needing to create that space creating a comfortable and productive working space at home it's been vital for maintaining that that really healthy remote work-life balance uh, for me especially and i think for anybody really i've been able to dedicate like a spare bedroom um, for my home office and i think over the past few years years now obviously as you know covid has been going on for that long i've been slowly to invest in it so so yeah i guess i can rifle off a few things that have helped me to create you know a really visually stimulating space and inspiring space that really allowed me to mentally switch into work mode when I stepped into that. Firstly, I think your home office should be a designated room, uh, you know, not something like, say, a couch in your living room. You know, I think you need some space, preferably some closure options, noise resistance, if at all possible, temperature controlled, if you've got a radian, radiator in there for those yeah. cooler sort of wet days. A possible window is nice to have. A guest bedroom, a finished attic or a basement under the stairs. You know, outfitting a garden shed is becoming pretty popular now. And then I'd say, you know, a desk and a good desk chair are absolutely key. Um, getting all the ergonomics right, a computer, obviously, an extra monitor is fantastic if you can get one, printer, scanner, and of course, you got to skip to the most important thing, and that's reliable Wi-Fi. Well, internet with a good router and a backup if your connection goes, like a smartphone with tethering um, options, I think that's absolutely key. That's happened to me on a few occasions where the whole street has went down and you just you, you know you need to keep things going and so you know with a company phone or my own phone i'm able to just tether that hotspot and keep it going good lighting is a must headphones you know a filing cabinet uh, and then i think once you sort of get all those fundamentals locked in you know we can start to accessorize like grab some plants some art some scents whatever floats your boat really for me i like my space decluttered and organized which helps me sort of maintain that sense of order and clarity in my mind you know whiteboards for my daily goals and some more for my monthly goals and separating my workspace from my personal life is important and i think you've got to establish some boundaries to keep it that way but with all that being said when 5 30 6 p.m hits those boundaries for me to get broken because when my little um babes barge down the door into my office and tackle me and mess up my papers and repeating daddy daddy bath time story time it, it melts my heart it really does they're they're all about it and i love to see it and they're all about what i'm doing and demand that i let them do some drawing but it's got to be said no i've got several baby gates and solid doors that generate yeah. us all from when i'm working but uh yeah you gotta have a comfortable setup you gotta make it unique to you 
noise to, and it, it, I think it's like a fingerprint. I think it's I think it's different, but there's certainly some foundations to get right. But it's really what you're able to do, make it comfortable, ergonomics, and just try to mimic that professional environment as much as possible. For me, I've got what I think to be a better working environment at home than I do at work. That's not to say like I, I love being at work. I love the people. I really do. If I could be in more, I probably would. But geography sort of has a big role to play in that for me. But you got to mimic a fantastic space, I think, to, to really get it right. No, good points. And I, I, I absolutely agree with you on having a, a separate room that you can close off and separate because you, you haven't got that commute anymore. So you, you, you know, to lock, to lock that door and keep out of the, uh, your office space is, is, is absolutely critical, I think, for your mental health. The next question is very relevant to this as well. You know, some people argue that yeah. fully open plan offices are now not suitable for post-pandemic working life. Mm. You know, with noise from other people on video calls, disturbing quiet working. You know, what are your thoughts on that when you go into the office? Yeah, that's um, that's certainly been a huge discussion point for a lot of people, a lot of firms, a lot of practices, how they're going to cope with that, how, how it's all going to work. And uh, I can speak for myself and say that I get distracted pretty easily. Um, if things aren't somewhat quiet, my focus isn't always laser sharp. And with like you, I'm sure with the amount of work that, that we do, I, I can't really afford to lose hours in the day due to sort of lack of focus. Um, post pandemic, post pandemic working life has certainly shed some light on the drawbacks of that fully open plan office especially regarding noise and distractions during the video calls. I think more than anything, because of so many video calls, everybody's always sort of talking out loud and depending on the technology or the equipment that you have, it feels sometimes that you can be right beside somebody. I mean, I can have a video or just, just check in with somebody and it, it almost feels like the person talking on their video call next to them is louder, is louder than them. And it, it's, it's very distracting, really, really very distracting. It's true that post-pandemic, you know, the need for an adaptable work environment has, has become much more apparent. I think a balance has got to be struck to accommodate both that collaborative and focused workspace. Yeah, at, at Faulkner Browns, we have a healthy amount of that in the office. Uh, I see people using it all the time, whether they're the large or the small one-to-one -one meeting rooms, being able to provide that flexible space and offer that privacy when needed. Um, if you can incorporate any sort of soundproofing measures, great, you know, technology, if it's there to help minimize the distractions from video, from, from video calls, I think that's essential to help, you know, enhance that productivity and concentration for people. But all at the same time, collaborative spaces I think they've got to be designed to, to help foster that teamwork and, and, and creativity as well. I think we're getting better at creating those now that cater to all the different work styles and, and support a, a really diverse range of tasks. No doubt, I think it affects people differently as well. I've talked to people who don't really mind and uh, I've talked to people who actually like are losing their mind and they're just so done with that and they can't focus and it's really frustrating. And I mean, it's it's all, you know, fun and games and, you know, we can have a laugh in hindsight. But even for me, if, if I start like not being able to close out tasks and they start to build and build and I'm not comfortable or I've got only certain windows to really focus, it's tough. I think it's tough. 
It is tough, and I'm one of them people who I can't stand the office becoming like a a call center when you walk in. So having them, them want you know small meeting pods that you can go in, do your do your Teams call with the people who are at home on that day is really critical because oh, I just really can't stand overhearing people on Teams calls in the oh. in the open plan office. I just walk. Yes. Luckily enough, the office is so big. I can walk to, yes. to somewhere that's quiet, but yeah, no, got it, no, yeah, got it. Fantastic uh, reply there, really, really, um, Alex. The agreement of your company, you know, people might be surprised to hear. You also, um, as, as your day job, you also work in a coffee shop. You know, can you please tell me, you know, why you've had to take on additional employment and. We all know inflation uh, is, <clears throat> is incredible in this country at present. Yeah, no, you got it, Jason. Yeah, no, I help out one day a weekend at what I think is a pretty cool place. It's a hotel, restaurant, cafe, bar, uh, sort of multi-use space. Um, and as you say, sort of what started out as a side job for some extra pocket money has started to become more of a need to help combat against that cost of living. As you say, inflation is next level right now. All in all, I mean, I, I enjoy it. And, and of course, it, it doesn't have any impact on my full-time job as it's one day in the weekend. Um, it does allow me to engage with people from various different sort of backgrounds. And, I, you know, I'm able to broaden my horizons there. I gain, gain a good understanding of, of customer service more so. And I am able to develop some skills that, you know, are certainly valuable to, to me in my architectural field. Um, it also enables me to sort of contribute to the local community and, and get to know the needs and aspirations of some of the people that I that I, that I live around. But uh, for those who know me, I'm a big extrovert, and this involvement sort of helps my interpersonal and communication skills a little bit. Um, and as mentioned, th those are valuable in the architectural profession as well. But it's a personal choice, and it adds to sort of my overall growth and fulfillment, I suppose. And but yeah, you know, I, I do earn a fair wage working my full-time job, but of course my finances are still challenging me most months, really. It's something that um, I kind of need to do right now. I'm, I'm with you there because I do mentoring as well as working full-time. So, you know, I, I, okay. I, I, I get it. You know, we need to have these side hustles. Some people call it a side hustle or yeah. um, just take on it, you know, take on extra income to um, help us get through these times so no I, I really appreciate you talking about that and now we're going on to the next question employees are often approached by recruitment agencies and i know from my own experience that many employees want to spend more time working from home it almost becomes the the sort of number one ask before salary these days is this a principle you agree with and uh, why yeah, it does feel like we're moving in that direction, don't we? I think I've got a bit of experience with that as well. And you're right, um, whether you're just sort of talking to colleagues, friends or recruiting agencies, it is really that number one question. And I got to say, you know, I absolutely agree that the option to work from home has become increasingly important to employees. I think that Providing employees with the option to work from home, at least to some extent, is crucial for the well-being and productivity, as we sort of touched on earlier. Mm. Remote working for some people offers, you know, 
of reduced commuting time, increased focus, like especially for me. Um, and it improves from, you know, from my opinion, work-life integration. Uh, it, it also allows for that diverse workforce like we were like I was waffling on about earlier, which I think is really, really amazing. Um, ultimately, I think the companies who are able to weave prioritizing flexible working arrangements into their ethos can help create happier, more, great, more engaged employees. And that, I think, all contributes to a company's overall success, really. I really do think that a hybrid option is ideal. You know, I think it's essential to strike that balance and maintain opportunities for that in-person collaboration and sort of social interaction, as we were saying. Yeah, they're 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 crucial for fostering that creativity and building relations relationships and sort of nurturing that sort of sense of belonging within mm. an organization. But no doubt, I think it's it's here to stay in some way, shape, or form. And um, Work, work from home is certainly a priority for me, uh, and I can only imagine it only getting stronger as time goes on. And I know that we've had full work from home, and then a lot of companies are pulling people back in for this hybrid approach. And we're still figuring out, it feels. It still really feels that we're figuring it all out and ironing out the wrinkles and what works for, for some doesn't work for many. And... Um, I know it's a bit of a trick because there's a lot of companies who are, are trying to find that really happy balance that sort of works for, for everybody as much as possible. Um, but yeah, weaving it in to the employees, at least um, option to do so. I, I think, I think we have to do it. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I know of um, people even take a pay cut just just to have that ability or necessarily don't want as much salary and say look if I can work three days four days at home I'm willing to take a, a you know a slight uh, pay cut and that's that would never have happened um, oh that's huge I guess that goes to show yeah. how important it yeah, is how absolutely. worth it is yeah no good one, Jason so my my next question really is focus maybe on on the mental health side of things you know how do you yes. cope with um, loneliness at home as you are remote and that maybe you could start with the first time you know the pandemic hit and we, we were all we we're all struggling with uh, you know 100% of our working day from home but how how have you sort of effectively managed that to to where you are now yeah that's uh, that's a good one and a sensitive one um yeah, we've been doing a lot of talking about my situation and what aligns with my set of skills and my, my, my. Mm. Uh, I think it's worth saying that not everyone would share my beliefs about how beneficial it may be to work from home. As as you say, I found out that many people didn't do very well with being at home alone. And I mean, there are some sad statistics to underpin that. Uh, I think every employee's situation is unique to them. And of course, finding a company that can fit that need is, is, is absolutely crucial. For me, again, I don't find loneliness to be a challenge when working remotely because I've got, you know, a family downstairs if I need to. I'm not just here by myself, which certainly helps. 
uh, with that being said, I, I try very hard to be very aware of those who are in my team and, and, and other members of staff. And, and I know that there are ways to sort of cope with it effectively, you know, whether it's, you know, making really conscious efforts to, to maintain that regular communication uh, with your teammates and your colleagues alike through, you know, virtual meetings or all those informal check-ins. I mean, it sounds funny. I always sort of send people um, Microsoft Teams messages when like waiting for my model to sync. So when my model is syncing, I'll just check in with somebody. You know, I'll send these little like praise badges. If you've ever seen them on Microsoft Teams, oh. like, you know, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep up the great work or, and just anything to help stay in touch and, and get people laughing. You know, engaging in sort of online professional networks like like what we're doing right now, you know, to help connect with sort of like-minded individuals in the field, um, taking short breaks throughout the day to step outside, I think that was really encouraged. And I think that had a huge benefit to a lot of people. Exercise, you know, with our good buddy Joe Wicks on TV from time to time. You know, I've got some weights in the room. Any sort of engagement and hobbies that can sort of help combat that isolation and loneliness, I think have all got to be welcomed, especially, and I don't know for you, Jay, but for me, like when I work from home, the company gets a whole lot more out of me. I blend my, my hours. I find that, you know, I'll come back on in an evening and work and crush that next task so that my next morning, I'm just, you know, I just look like a champion. Like, I've got, I've written all my emails, I've done all my, my issues, all my drawings in like eight o'clock in the morning, like ding, 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 ding. Emails just go out and it just sets me, set, sets my pace for the day. Um, if I'm in the office, my one day in the office, when I come back home, I don't turn my computer back on. Like that day is like in office, I'm there, I turn it off and I'm, I'm checked out. But when I'm at home, I certainly do tend to sort of work a little bit harder, I'd say. Um, that's just from my nature. And I know that that's a little bit different from everybody. Some people don't work as hard or don't have the motivation to work as hard, um, maybe because they are lonely. Um, but for me, I, I very much like my own company. As mentioned, I, I did a bunch of traveling and uh, solo. Uh, and I did that for years. And so sort of getting to just be by myself, I'm pretty well versed with it. But um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's an issue. It's something that we need to take seriously and mental health is no joke. Um, as we all know, coping with loneliness, uh, you got to really be serious about it, really, really sort of combat it and, and strategize it, uh, and help and, you know, ask for help if, if, if you are, and, you know, make, make somebody aware of it, make your team leader aware of it. And if they're a good team leader or a good manager, they'll find ways to help you. I mean, I know I, I, I do. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a good one, Jay. I know oh, it's, uh, um, you, like how long is a piece of string? I think we can talk about that one forever, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, certainly something we need to, to, to make sure we get right. No, absolutely. And I love what you said there. Then one-to-one check-ins, so critical and yeah, speak up, you know, and encourage you, your work, your team to, to speak up, um, if they are lonely and you can do it confidentially. So, uh, yeah, I love, I love what you said there. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on what makes a good leader? Ooh, 
Drum roll, please. <laughs> the first thing I've got to say my mind goes to are, you know, these, these these like positive motivational speeches that I sometimes tune into or like, you know, Simon Sinek or, or Jordan Peterson sort of videos. These guys yeah. who are just champions of, of good leading, it feels like, or at least know what it takes. Um, and I'm sure I could go on uh, on about this one all day, um, but I'll try to be summarized here. So I think generally a good leader has to possess several qualities. Um, firstly, I think you need to have effective communication skills. I think that's number one. I think that skill is vital to really clearly convey goals, um, expectations, and and even feedback to your team and, and whatever sort of domain of life that is, whether it's me at the cafe on weekends or if it's you know me on my full-time job. I think it's very important to be able to lead by example. You know, I think that those are the right ingredients right off the bat to me. Leaders inspire, um, they, they, they motivate their team. And um, I think they often recognize and appreciate team member contributions. I think that's a big one that some people don't talk about. I think all the good leaders that I've ever seen or had the privilege of working with, they've always been able to really foster that inclusive and collaborative sort of work environment, really make someone feel like they're part of it and really sort of, you know, encourage innovation and growth and and really sort of empower the team members to take ownership of their own work, which I think is amazing to see when, when you do see it um, and that barrier is broken. I think, you know, I think leaders are approachable. I think, you know, they're compassionate, they're empathetic. Um, and as mentioned, you know, creating that positive and inclusive sort of work environment um, and, and really able to sort of teach lessons of all sorts um, you know, really actively listening to their team, valuing them, providing support and guidance when it, when it's needed. Good leaders are gold, Jay, I think. And, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing a few. Um, and yeah, I think when, when you know, when, 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 you, when you see one, you know it. And I've always just held on to those people really, really tightly. I had a, a couple of really good mentors back in Canada that were great leaders. I've had one uh, or two that I can talk about in my previous place of practice in Leeds. Um, and I've got um, a couple now here at Faulkner Browns for sure. But good good leaders, you know, click on to those people because they'll teach you lots. Absolutely. Actively listening. That is so important. And effective communication, you know, uh, just and rewarding your team. I, I took a lot from that. Um, absolutely fantastic. What are your thoughts on managers who micromanage? Oh, oh, good one. That's a, I don't know if this one's talked enough about, really. It's, uh, it happens all the time, doesn't it? And it, yes. it can be super detrimental. Um, micromanagement, yeah, that's a big one, I feel. Um, I've seen this one on many occasions. You know, the more experience I think you have in the field means that you might have likely seen more instances of it. Um, I think it was a bit tricky to to sort of define and, and see in the first instance when you didn't really know what was happening. But then in hindsight, you're like, wow, that was that was a lot of micromanagement. I think, as mentioned, it can be detrimental to, to the individual that's that, that it's happening to. But um, the team's morale um as well and no no doubt the performance um it i think of uh, I'm, I'm sure it hinders creativity 
and, and really sort of puts a halt to um, you know the, an individual's development uh, of skill. Essentially, uh, it's happened to me on a couple of occasions, not at Faulkner Browns, uh, but it happened at my previous place of practice, and it's happened at the place of practice in Canada. But I think it really is important, and that's why I'm trying to stand for council. So as you as you probably know, uh, with the RIBA National Council to to address these issues and, and face them head on. Really, really important uh, that we we get good, uh, well, we receive good pay for, for good work, um, mm-hmm. which I don't think is the case at the minute with with everyone. I think we could do all do a lot better. And that's really, really, um, I'm really passionate about that sort of thing, which is why, you know, I, we have conversations with, with many architects and architectural technologists um, to, to, to explore all of these um, ways forward and how we can do things better. I just really appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, to talk about uh, this. Um, I've not heard too many podcasts talking about effective home um, working. And uh, okay. what, you do is, what you do is fantastic and you balancing that with your family. Um, yeah, just thank you so much for, for being on the second series of the Brock Architect podcast. Well, thanks very much for having me, pal. I mean, you know, just to reiterate, it's not something that came easy. You know, it was something that it was trial and error to get this really good recipe to work. And I think uh, a lot of people are, you know, doing a very good job. And um, as mentioned, uh, I think I think we're all sort of constrained by certain things. And if you can um, do better, then I think we owe it to ourselves to do just that of compliance maybe that person needs more hand-holding than another person does and you know for me i can be let off the reins and probably go mia all week and then come back and all jobs are done but i think it's on a good manager to really understand how much hand-holding to do and i think those lines can be blurred pretty easy but again effective communication really you know maybe even over communicating so that you really put out the or omit the confusion or assumptions um, and just really tailor it to the individual. And then you've got a full awareness of who needs what, how they need it, how much they need it. And then you're not micromanaging at that point. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good one to broach. Whether you are being micromanaged and don't know it or you are being micromanaged and know it, uh, it's tricky because those people are typically your seniors or your sort of, you know, superior authority. And you might not want to say something, you know, for what, for, for obvious reasons, but yeah, I think finding a way around that is pretty important. It is. And I think there's a, the people who tend to fall into this trap of micromanaging their team are often the ones with, uh, I would say low emotional intelligence, you know, the yes. awareness of treating people as a, as humans and, and, and you're right, focus on our outcomes as well. Yeah, look, I loved your thoughts on, on that one, um, especially as you're, you're, you're doing this effectively over, over teams. Um, you know, it's wonderful. The last couple of questions really, you know, your wife homeschools your children as well. So everything's pretty much focused uh, in in home which is wonderful it is how do you um separate your home from work you've talked about having a, a an office um away 
um, from you know from from your your actual home. So you've got a, a room. Um, I take it, but you know you've got your children there, which are which are at home and and being homeschooled. How does that all work? Yeah, great question, and no doubt it. I I know it happens with a lot of people, um, and I think everybody has different circumstances. Yes, as you said, I got a spare bedroom. I've got a luxury of having a spare bedroom, and many doors that separate me from them. Um, a lot of people don't, and in the beginning, I know that we sort of just accepted. You know, people sitting on their couch or at their kitchen table and kids running around. I couldn't think of anything worse that would just be so mentally draining. And yeah, really, I think and that obviously underpins the importance of the of the setup that we discussed earlier. Yeah, my wife, she does homeschool. Um, she's got so much passion for it. It's so good. And she's great at it. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, separating home from your remote workspace is crucial for maintaining that that sort of healthy keyword healthy work-life balance i think initially jay it comes down to communication and, and setting boundaries here at home you know i found that the key in achieving the right balance truly is, is that it's the communication of it all my wife and i we've established really clear schedules and and routines to to ensure that i am dedicated to my work and that she is dedicated to the homeschooling aspect while I am working. And of course, family time, you know, is, is precious altogether. My my kids might not be in school at the moment. You know, they're just about to be turning four and one is two and a half. So um, they're, they're not in school just yet, but they're, they're, they're out of the house nearly every day. I mean, unless someone is sick, of course. So so, for example, on Monday, it's Forest Club, where they go and learn in the forest. Tuesday is Nature Club, where they do something similar. Wednesday, they're at home in our classroom setting downstairs. We've really made a nice classroom-like setting, yeah. which is separated, as mentioned, by a floor and about three doors. Um, and Thursday, I'm generally in the office, and so they go swimming with Grandma. And then Friday, it's up to them what they what they want to learn and how they want to learn. So... As you say, setting those expectations with both my family and colleagues and having that really open dialogue helps maintain that sort of healthy work-life balance. And it really ensures the productivity in both domains. When I first started, it started obviously when everybody started in March 2020. I was having a bit of a tricky time doing it. And yeah, I thought it was going to eventually uh, or ultimately be a little bit harder to manage. But I think it's always impossible until you do it. And we just, you know, got a really good strategy in place and just stuck to it. And it really works for us, really works for us. Yeah, I love it. And then, you know, on my on my breaks, I can go downstairs and see my kids. Um, one of the things I didn't necessarily say pre-pandemic, which was, I think, one of the first or second questions that you were asking there, um, Jay, but mm. I was like on, on those lengthy commutes to Leeds and <clears throat> sort of, you know, coming back back after they were already to bed, I was missing out on so much of my newborn's life and their upbringing. Like I would see her maybe for an hour in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I, you know, I'd come home and give her a kiss while she was sleeping. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot to be said about that. And we won't delve into that part of it with regards to the sort of the, like the severed connection between fathers and kids um, from some of that. But I think a lot of it's getting a lot better. But the whole homeschooling and work environment, it's doable, but you got to prioritize it and make it work for your individual setting. 
and then yeah, I think when it does work, it clicks, and it's a really good system that we've got in place right now. No, it's a good point you make there because the now that you've got, you're not commuting that hour like I was. I was commuting an hour to work, an hour coming back. So you've got two hours almost extra with you with your children, <clears throat> which is which is just beautiful, uh, which is just wonderful. And you're still doing yes. the same amount of hours for your for your for your job. So. Uh, it's it's been wonderful from a, a family um, point of view, but boundary, yes. boundaries, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the boundaries, that's that's it, isn't it? As, as said, sometimes my kid barges in here when when they're all as you, and as mentioned, baby gates and the rest of it indoors, and they're still pretty small, so they can't really quite figure out how to how to bypass those systems just yet. <laughs> um, but uh, no no doubt, yeah, that that boundary and sort of setting those and making sure that your partner is super on board with it as well and knowing that you know we've got serious professions here you know they're 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 intense and they can be really mindful um you know you, you could be really overwhelmed and if you've got all the other distractions of of hearing your kids or anything else then you know you can really be limited by what you can produce in a day and you know i really pride myself on project organization getting it done and, and just being the best version of myself at work I can be. Yeah, I think just really ironing it out from the get-go uh, is good. And there's all sorts of ways that people have already, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There's a huge community out there that are doing this. So, you know, you can learn a lot. You know, you don't need to touch the burner to learn. You know, you can, somebody else has already done that. So, you know, you can learn from other people's mistakes. So it's good. Well, my final question is this. What are your hopes for the future in terms of your profession? Yeah, okay. Um, right. Is this, is, this, is this the last question? Is this us? It's basically getting up to summarizing it all? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, hopes for the future in terms of my profession, in terms of my future in the profession. Um yeah, I'm, I'm just really driven, you know, by this sort of constant desire to just grow and learn and really contribute to meaningful projects, which is exactly what I'm doing at Faulkner Browns right now. I'm on track. You know, I'd say that that's the first part. Um, you know, I really aspire to, to take on more challenging and complex sort of architectural endeavors, I guess. Um, you know, really continue to sort of collaborate with diverse teams to really create great projects, really sustainable and innovative solutions. Technical, I'm, I'm a technical guy. I like to carry out stage four. So I'm really geeked out about technical solutions and really constantly pushing and learning more about the envelope and, 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 and that. Um, and really, uh, you know, like you, I want to continue to mentor and, and inspire this sort of next generation of of professionals, whether that be through teams or, you know, university involvement uh, at Leeds Beckett or, or, or any other sort of avenues to, to do just that and really just leave, you know, a positive impact on the built environment and, and, and the lives of people who inhabit those spaces that, you know, I ultimately help create. I think that can, I think that sort of defines it pretty well, really. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I just, I know obviously listening to your podcast, uh, there's certain sort of gaps that let's say that, you know, have been identified in our yeah. profession. I hope they get bridged. I hope we get better um, to, to do everything that I've just made mention of. And uh, I just, I want to see it prosper and thrive. And all of us, I want to 
see all of us do just that. And I think we've all got the ability and potential to do that. I just think we need to make it happen and just get better. Please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. The Broke Architect.